Welcome to Generation Digital Workforce, the podcast that's here to explore the role of robotic process automation and other digital technologies. Whether you're just getting started or you're looking for advanced strategies and tactics, if you're curious about where human and digital workers are coming together to transform the future of work, then this podcast is for you. All right, let's get into the show. Hello, everyone. I'm Brad Harrison with Blue Prism. Welcome to the podcast. Today, I'm really excited to have as my guest, Mr. Pete Cultus, a managing director with the global advisory firm Alvarez and Marsal. Pete and I will be discussing a best of breed approach to intelligent automation, which is definitely a timely topic given the maturity of the automation space as well as recent market events. Pete, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Brad. So I'll, I'll spend a few minutes talking a little bit about AM because we're not a a, a household name per se. Um, and then I'll, I'll cover a little bit of background on myself um, that will provide some context in, in some of my comments. So uh, Alvarez and Marsal or A&M as we call it, um, has been around for over 35, 36 years now. Um, and we started as a, as a restructuring firm many, many years ago, but we've really grown into a, a, a true global advisory firm that um, focuses on on a wide variety of topics or wide variety of advisory services. Uh, I work in our corporate performance improvement practice, which focuses on corporate clients and helping them improve. But we're we're about 5,000 folks globally, uh, offices around the world, uh, and we do a lot of the same types of work that uh, you might find a McKinsey or a BCG or a Bain or even the big four doing. Uh, I think the biggest difference for us is because of our restructuring heritage, Everything we do is with a true sense of urgency, with either a balance sheet or in, uh, or income statement impact, um, and we and we are able to do that because the majority of our resources are former operators uh, with a high degree of experience. So um, our, our our projects are smaller, high degree of experience with operators, and um, true sense of urgency um, in in all the work that we do. I came to A and M about eight years ago. Uh, prior to that, I, I built and ran a SaaS CRM company, um, and prior to that, I, I had uh, significant stints with Accenture and Anderson, and then with Bearing Point. So I've I've spent my career implementing technology solutions uh, pretty much exclusively, and then I ran a technology company for a while before coming to AM. Um, since I've been at AM, and um, because we don't focus on implementing uh, specific technology solutions, uh, much of my focus has been on uh, either transactional work, helping companies acquire other companies and, and, and the technology components that go around with that, or digital transformation work um, that I, because I'm in our digital and, and technology services practice, mm -hmm. uh, I get pulled in a lot for um, transformational type projects where we use enabling technologies like intelligent automation in many cases to reduce friction and improve uh, customer experience and, and even enable new business models. So. That's a little bit about me, a little bit about AM. I'll turn it back to you. Perfect. Thank you. So, Pete, you work with a global advisory that does not implement technology, nor do you advocate for any specifically technology vendor. However, you do advise companies on how to leverage technology most effectively to improve company performance and support business strategy. Is that fair? Fair enough? Yeah, I would say I would say we don't directly configure technology. We often get involved in uh, a couple things. One, we will come in and remediate a distressed program. So there could be a large ERP implementation or a large transformational initiative that's right. kind of fallen on the, off the rails, and we'll get brought in to do that. 
or will often help clients with IT strategy and then selection of uh, enabling technologies, and then will often select and manage the underlying configuration resources, whether they come from a vendor or whether they come mm -hmm. from a system integrator, we will often be the general contractor in managing that effort. So, Okay, great. That being said, I, I believe you are a really good person to talk to about this topic because, because of your objective, you know, vendor neutral approach in working with your clients, as well as the fact that you've helped so many companies navigate their technology footprint decisions and determine the optimal approach in doing so. So let me set the stage, uh, Pete, and then I'm going to, I've got a few questions here uh, to direct to you. In in the world of software, the best of breed versus the best in suite debate is certainly not something new. I mean, we've seen this on the ERP front for years. However, now intelligent automation is is front and center. You see larger technology companies like SAP or Microsoft have started attempting to add RPA capabilities through acquisition. And, and then you have some RPA players that have started attempting to build out their own intelligent skills and, and cognitive services, kind of a all-in-one approach, if you will. So the first question for you, Pete, then, you know, you've, you've been a consultant for over 30 years, 32 years. As you've worked with hundreds of companies across a myriad of industries, what are, what are some observations you can share about the way companies buy technology solutions and, and how has this changed over time? Wow, that's a, that's a big, big question. So I would say, um, you know, years ago, and I've, I started my career in the mainframe days, but years ago, companies, as you said, as you alluded to, made, made long-term investments in IT infrastructure and with a small number of very specific solutions, right? They were either an AT&T or a Cisco shop on the network side. They were either a SAP or an Oracle shop as it related, uh, or, or, you know, some of the other JD Edwards or PeopleSoft as it came to ERP solutions. Um, and that's evolved greatly in the last several years with the advent of, of things like public and private clouds, right? And, and, and choices that they bring. And uh, pretty much everything as a solution um, brings solutions that are, are rented on a month-to-month -month basis, you know, based on, on the exponential explosion and use of technology components you, that you need to be a truly digital business. So in order to be a digital business these days, there's a lot of interoperability that has to occur um, and you're often not committed long-term to it. So you can make changes and you can augment and, and scale as you need. So, uh, but while the enabling technologies have grown and morphed over the time, the value proposition is similar to a business, right? In general, business teams want technology that provides the most functionality and best meets their requirements at, at preferably the lowest cost possible, right? Mm -hmm. IT departments try to support those needs as well as also trying to minimize cost, complexity, and 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 provide flexibility and, and, and agility when dealing with vendors, right? They don't want to be locked into a long-term, uh, you know, very specific contract, right? So, and then from senior management's perspective, right, the motivation includes having more tailored applications, a better functional fit, um, ability to easily modify and scale up or back kind of based on the needs and priorities of the business, right? right. Uh, and even changing business models. So um, most larger companies, I would say, you know, a lot of large companies have already made uh, their their preferred kind of choices in in uh, in artificial intelligence, intelligent automation, and other products, right? Like RPA, right? 
Um, in some cases, they've actually made multiple ones, right? Depending on, on where those decisions are being made. Um, and they wanna continue using those technologies and make sure they can be integrated with RPA. I often say that RPA um, is, is a phenomenal enabler, right? But it of, often needs uh, things on either side of it, um, eyes, ears, a brain sometimes, and then also needs, uh, you need things to be able to track benefits and, and realize those benefits and, 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 um, and measure them, right? So um, small, I would say also a couple of other observations. Smaller companies, and I've worked with all sizes of companies, uh, often prefer all in one because they don't have the resources to make, you know, they don't have the resources to manage multiple multiple vendors in their shop, right? So right. they would rather use right. typically a best in suite approach. Um, and they're willing to make that trade off on some, maybe some more limited functionality. And they're willing to accept that, right? And work around it. Larger companies tend to be more best of breed and often um, different divisions of companies make their own investments in different technologies. And I would say that one of the reasons we get brought in often is because the CFO wants to get a handle on, or the CIO wants to get a handle on where those costs are being spent and try and rationalize and consolidate some of those. But, um, you know, some examples to share. I'm a, I'm a former, um, both a consultant and a CRM industry exec. And I remember, you know, many times um, I had clients that use Salesforce, they would buy Salesforce and they would think about it as being their all encompassing solution for marketing, sales and support, and even their platform for development and custom applications. But often they would struggle with, um, and they would use it for everything, right? It, it, was, it, was the, it was the hammer to every nail that they were trying to solve. Mm -hmm. And what happened is over time, a lot of things, um, you know, they, they had some issues scaling that, they had issues dealing with the performance of, of custom apps built on that. And then often they really found that they were limited in functionality uh, in some cases. So what we've seen recent, more recently is um, kind of, and because it is an open platform, is we've seen companies leverage one or more marketing technologies for targeting, for direct mail, for, um, you know, for, for a variety of, of, of surveying, uh, you know, voice of the customer, uh, listening, the variety of technologies. And they may use a whole set of different technologies on the service side of it, right? So you might have a Salesforce with an Adobe um, on, on the other side of it, and then a ServiceNow on the other side of it, handling kind of the marketing and the service components of it. Whereas, you know, if you looked at that 10 years ago, you might have found an all end-to-end -end kind of Salesforce solution. Does mm, that make sense? Gotcha. Yeah, absolutely. So you, you mentioned a few of these, but if you had to summarize kind of what are, what are the core reasons why companies prefer a, a best of breed approach? What would you what would you say those are? Well, I think nowadays and, and for the foreseeable future, there's a growing trend um, uh, among the the software industry, right? To build smaller, more purpose-built solutions that can interoperate with others. There's also an opposing trend where there's consolidation in the industry, right? Where some of the larger players are buying different point solutions, right? So you've got kind of examples of both of that, right? Um, you know, a real example that I've seen in the digital transformation space is integration platforms that work with master data management solutions or marketing and service solutions, you know, that I just mentioned that work well, um, as work as well with Salesforce as they do kind of with their, with, with their own integrated tools. But I think that um, there are a, a, a more exponential growth of best of breed point solutions that um, that work really well together and give companies the flexibility um, to get those benefits 
uh, while they're mitigating, you know, while most of the risks that they traditionally had around interoperability or integration are missing, right? So mm -hmm. like in the RPA space, this is true of process mining tools, benefits realization tools and point solutions for things like scanning, OCR and, and kind of persistent AI, right? So you can have an RPA tool or multiple tools connected to um, a, a, a benefits realization tool um, you can figure out where the best opportunities for automation are with some of the best process discovery and mining tools out there that you can point at your SAP or Salesforce mm -hmm. instances and, and read those logs and figure it out. Um, and then you also, um, you know, have, have different AI solutions they can plug into. So when you have all of those in one best of suite, right, tool, you're going to sub-optimize the benefits with little benefits to the integration itself. So what you're getting in benefits of integration, you're losing in functionality, in my in my opinion, right? So um, best of suite solutions may meet some of your business needs and requirements, but um, and, and they may handle the integration components, but businesses should expect that there will be features missing um, and they're going to need to adapt their processes or live with these features not being available. So Pete, for companies that do go down a best of breed uh, path, what are some challenges that have to be managed associated with that? Yeah, I think mo those mostly center around um, the the risks and and challenges with resourcing and integration. So real time. Mm -hmm. So if you have if a company has a need for real time process and data integration, and that and if that's critical for specific processes or functions that they're handling, it's fairly hard to achieve even for the bigger players in the, in the, in the application vendor league, right? Not to mention small and medium sized providers. Best of breed on the other hand, assumes that your business or your IT team is proficient at integrating third-party products and willing to incur costs associated with training or upgrades, right? Ensure those products work together. So that's why best of breed typically works in a larger IT organization where they can afford to manage the interoperability um, and um, the integration between them and the and the release management, right, of those different pieces, right? Um, so many of the specialist vendors, um, by the way, are small, which means you have limited resources and geographic coverage as well as more financial risk. So kind of spreading the wealth across vendors, I think, is, is, a, is, a, is a better approach for most companies. So they're not placing all their eggs kind of in one basket. Um, um, so I think the other thing is, um, and, and especially where they're startup companies, right? Because you may invest in a, a technology solution from a startup company, and then they, they may get acquired, right? Which, which, which can result in a lot of changes and even not just startup companies. I mean, I've seen clients that have invested, you know, millions of dollars in solutions that then ultimately mm -hmm. got acquired by an SAP or an Oracle where they're, uh, where, where they're in the the opposite shop as a as a philosophic from a philosophical standpoint, and right. it obviously causes challenges for them. So, um, and then I guess so, you get best of breed, you get great functionality, but you got to manage the integration carefully. You're likely going to need some more resources to manage um, not only the integration but the but the release components of that, right? And 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 right. the interoperability of that. Um, and you're and you're probably going to need to manage multiple vendors, right? So you're going to have to manage those different relationships. So those are some of the kind of the downsides of best of breed, or okay. some of the challenges, right? What what about risk? Do, does a best of breed approach mitigate risk or create more risk, in your opinion? 
I, I think there's a I think there's an interesting balance of risk, right? So I view it I view risk in a couple different ways. So if I have a multi-vendor strategy, right, in general, um, I think that it's a lower risk than an all-in-one, right? So all-in-one, um, certainly I have less integration risk and less interoperability risk, but right. I have a greater risk of, of placing my eggs in that basket. I have a greater risk that potentially future things that I may need from that vendor are not going to be available in their functionality. Um, and, um, you know, the, the, the lack of functionality may actually compromise my ability to grow my business. So I think that the, the, the risks of being constrained are equal to or greater than the risks that integration uh, of best of breed solutions uh, mm -hmm. create uh, by having a multi-vendor strategy. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, And then I guess maybe a couple of other things. So an all-in-one suite, right, um, you know, may make itself vulnerable to security breach, right? So if you have a, an all-in-one and uh, we just saw this with solar winds, right? A lot of companies invested their their kind of infrastructure in solar winds, and then they had a breach, and they were all everyone was exposed, right? Um, and especially right. with these cloud-based solutions, if you're if you're investing in that, you're investing in that company's ability to manage their security on the cloud, and you're going to get taken along with whatever happens, right? So. Um, and I think that the other nice thing about best of breed is that as new technologies become more and more prevalent, um, they're going to interoperate with the leading vendors in either RPA or benefits mm -hmm. realization or process mining or ERP. Um, so, you know, things like natural language processing, right, mm -hmm. um, is going to have a lower implementation and startup cost if it's if you're just doing that in its isolation. Um, and you can then integrate it with with the other solutions as as you get ready to put it into production, right? And you don't have to potentially um, implement it because it's part of an all-in-one solution. You don't have to implement it all at one time. So, mm -hmm. and you can and you can swap out. So you have the flexibility right. of if I'm paying for things by the drink, and this best of breed solution is not working for me, mm -hmm. then I can plan a rationalization effort around pulling that piece out and putting another component in place to do mm -hmm. either AI or NLP or OCR or, you know, voice response, whatever it may be. Mm -hmm. Okay. When you consider all the steps that companies go through to automate work, so think about the end-to-end -end automation cycle, how could a best-of-breed approach improve that or streamline it? Well, I think um, kind of like we were talking about earlier, best of breed allows you to, let's just say that you have a process that you know is ripe for automation and you take a best of breed process mining tool that's really, really well suited to looking at your specific environment, reading your log files and identifying that. So you can you can invest in either on a, on a one-time drink or on a continual basis mm -hmm. on a process mining tool and you can pick the best one that works in your environment. And then once you're done with that, you can then feed the information from that as you as you identify it and start designing where the automations are going to take place. And if one of the automations is, hey, I need to pick up the phone and 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 have a voice response solution um, that's 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 on my network that that um, you know can handle a certain percentage of the calls that are taking a long time because we're not collecting the information up front. 
you could buy a you know you can buy a solution that will just do that and so you can incrementally improve your processes by incorporating these different kind of best of breed solutions in place at your own pace right um and then you can take a best of breed um, benefits realization tool that will then read the data coming off of your bots or off of your um, your your phone system, whatever it may be, and help make the case for where you are saving money compared to you know your labor rates, right? Um, mm -hmm. And so that's why I think if you've got, and in, in some cases, companies have already bought a benefits realization tool because maybe they do a lot of merger acquisition work Right. Uh, or M&A work and they have a benefits tool, but they don't have a process mining tool. So buying a best of breed process mining tool that talks to the benefits tool and also talks to these automation tools um, is an example of where you can you can incrementally put those best of breed solutions in place. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. From your perspective, how important will it be for companies to accelerate as much as possible of the automation lifecycle going forward? Well, I think we've been talking about COVID all year, right? What COVID's done is it's forced companies to accelerate their thinking and their action around putting workers remotely, um, yeah. putting pieces in place that will interact with their customers uh, without having a, a, a human have to be in an office taking those phone calls, right? I often say that bots, you know, don't get COVID. Bots don't um, steal uh, PHI or PII information off of your screens and things like that. So, um, and and certainly this year, when I talk to CIOs all over the country, um, what they're telling me is, and transformation leaders is that COVID has, has accelerated transformation. So then, okay, so what's what's the best you know way right to accelerate uh, as much as possible that right. Um, Gartner projects that by 2024, large organizations will triple the capacity of their existing RPA portfolios. Many of them started experimenting. Many companies started experimenting with RPA mm -hmm. over the last two, three years. And um, I think the next couple of years are going to be a, a, an effort to really take those initial uh, uh, proof, proofs of concept and pilots and mm -hmm. really expand them. But um, really for companies to achieve that level of automation, um, they're going to have to look for more ways to automate, more steps and more ways to incorporate automation to get the real benefits of it, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then and then we see certainly with companies that are already sophisticated with bots, they're looking at beyond that horizon. Now that they have a large number of bots, guess what? They've got the same kind of issues you have when you start out with one worker mm -hmm. and you can directly supervise them. It's great. But once you have a whole team of workers, you need to... Um, optimize how they're working and how they're working together. Um, right. You may have some of them call in sick and then you need, need to have other folks, right? So bots are, are not much different than that. You have bots that will fall asleep. You have bots that will um, get, get, get tied up in a queue because the human in the loop, you know, wasn't necessarily um, the right handoff or something like that. And so now we've got um, this, this degree of autonomous automation where you've got bots scheduling and supervising and deploying bots. You have bots scaling themselves by multiplying themselves or by mm -hmm. working working with vendors that can multi you know that can add them in the cloud right and so you can you can scale so um i think that uh, and and self-healing robots right that's that's another thing self-learning and self-healing mm -hmm. robots is another area so i think that that's what the future the next three three years plus are going to hold for us um and 
Um, RPA vendors are, have been great at RPA, but they're not necessarily great at all these other things. Mm -hmm. So I think that um, some of them are, right? Or some, some, some aspects of that, right? I know that like Blue Prism, for example, you guys have done a great job at, um, at kind of some of those autonomous automation pieces, right? And even having additional workers available in the cloud and, and, um, and, and some of the self-healing components, but you know, not all vendors are. And so there's a whole, a whole rising of other third-party best-of-breed solutions that can help manage a multi-vendor uh, RPA environment, right? Um, mm -hmm. So um, I think that that's kind of where things are going. And I think that um, companies that are looking to uh, accelerate their automation need to really um, make it a priority um, within the organization and establish a team um, that's capable of managing that digital workforce, understanding how to best deploy them, um, and always and continually looking for those opportunities to improve um, and, and, and automate it wherever possible. So, Excellent. So Pete, let's end with this question. How, given all this, how would you advise companies to effectively utilize a best of breed approach to optimize intelligent automation? you know, to make it as easy and as fast and as self-supported as possible. What, what are some, some thoughts, some best practices that you would like to share? Yeah. When we, when we go in to talk to clients, um, often we get called in by a CIO or a CFO or a business leader that's interested in piloting something as it relates to RPA, right. Or automation in general, they're, they're, they, they know there's some low hanging fruit, um, they're not sure how to get started. And I always tell my clients, I, I use the simple saying that I've used for many years in consulting, and I think it's very applicable for, for automation. Think big, start small, and deliver quickly. And what I mean by that is, if you're going to go and do this, have the big picture in mind, right? When you start when you start off on your automation journey, too often companies experiment with RPA, they pilot it, um, and, and or other IA, uh, IA technologies, and they do it in isolation in a specific department without the benefit of understanding how to leverage and scale them, right? Finance might buy a license to a bot and, and try and automate a couple of processes with a, with a third party to come in and help them. Um, and, and it works part-time. It really didn't achieve the benefits of eliminating any FTEs or redeploy, being able to redeploy them. And often they kind of collapse under their own weight. And so what I tell clients is, if you're gonna do this, you need to do it right. What you need to be thinking about at the very beginning is a couple things. One, I am going to need to set up a center of excellence that's going to need to have a small but focused team, very similar to what you might have in a PMO or a transformation office, business analysts, project leaders that are able to facilitate, understand what needs to get accomplished, and then facilitate that either with a third-party configuration and integration firm, or maybe with their own trained IT staff, right? Get, right. needs to get set up, then you need to identify, okay, I want to if I want to start small, what I want to do is I want to understand from a, a portfolio of opportunities, which ones are the highest impact, lowest effort to get automated that I can get and start small so I can start showing immediate benefits. So don't, don't try and boil the ocean of automation and try and automate everything all at the same time. Start small so that you can kind of breathe life into that flame and watch it grow 
um, and, and, and make sure that you're doing it right. What I often also hear clients when they're on the other side of that is, gosh, we started without a real intention in mind. We didn't set up a COE. Mm -hmm. And then we found six months later that we had some bots that kind of ran amok and we didn't have the right um, controls in place and our internal audit team hammered us about that. And so we had to redo a lot of work because they weren't thinking about it in, in a strategic way at the very beginning. Um, and if you start small with, with low effort and high impact, you'll be able to deliver quickly and then it will have the opposite effect. You'll be able to show some benefits. Um, and more importantly, my job isn't to, to have an annuity with my clients. My job is to come in, help them set up a COE, help them build a business case for that initial kind of RPA scenario. If we need to select a vendor, we'll help them select a vendor. If they've already got a vendor in-house or in mind, we'll work with that vendor. Um, mm -hmm. I certainly have some favorites um, in, in ones that have worked together, including ones on this phone call that I'm, I'm, I'm on with. But um, I think that that COE team needs to be able to continue to sustain it and grow it on a going forward basis to leverage those costs and allocate them across a broader array of departments, mm -hmm. across a broader array of bots, solving a bigger amount of, of problems in automation for the company. So, Very good. Well, Pete, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts today. Insightful as always. And be well, my friend. Thank you. Great, great to talk to you today, Brad. Thank you again for your time. You've been listening to Generation Digital Workforce. If you want to hear more about RPA, AI, and other cognitive technologies that are shaping the future of work, join us next time as we continue to go deeper on these topics with industry innovators and experts. To make sure you never miss a future episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. And if you've liked what you heard today, please leave us a review. It's one of the best ways to help more people find valuable content. For show notes and more info, visit us at blueprism.com slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.